welcome to Breaking Down Bits, a conversation about great comedy bits with the comedians who wrote and performed them. Welcome to Breaking Down Bits. I'm Brian Gendron. What's up? I'm Drew Jordan. Excited to be back. Uh, still continuing to talk comedy. Uh, had a, an amazing episode uh, last week. If you missed it, make sure you go to breakingdownbits.com where you can find all the old episodes for anything you missed. We've, uh, you know, you can kind of check out the title on there. See if you can, if there's something specific you're looking for. It's all there. A beautiful website built by Mr. Brian Gendron, breakingdownbits.com. Thank you. Yeah. And our last episode with Adam Hunter, what's your callback from your discussion with Adam? Uh, you know, the thing for me was just how hard he hustled and, and talking about, you know, it, it's kind of cliche to some people maybe, but this guy put in the work, you know, he's living in his car uh, when, when that, when that was necessary, he, um, and it seems like he hustles just as hard on producing his shows today in Hollywood as he did back in the day when he was just trying to scrape it together and, and talk to, if you go to the episode, you'll hear him talk a lot about uh, barking and handing out flyers and doing everything he could to get stage time. And I think it's just a good reminder. Um, no matter how successful you are, it, there's just that effort and that want to, and that drive that's just absolutely necessary. Yeah. I think he said he barked for five years for the first comedy club. He got past that five fucking years. That's yeah. insane. And the, right. hey, anything to get that stage time. Absolutely. All right. So my callback, uh, I think it was a Patrice O'Neill quote that he said, he said, you know why the horses wear the blinders on their eyes. And so you can't see the other horses. And that yeah. was just in regards to like getting passed up by people who, who are, might've found success earlier than you in the industry. Uh, you can't let that stuff uh, slow you down. You can't let that, you can't uh, let those feelings of envy overcome you. You just got to stay the course, focus on your own game and, and find a way to be supportive. Uh, in, a, in a genuine way uh, when your friends get, get out ahead of you. Uh, so check out that episode, breakingdownbits.com. Of course, uh, you can also hit us up on social media at breakingdownbits or email us breakingdownbits at gmail.com. And then one last shout out for our comedy festival uh, for the riot in Houston, Texas. That is March 23rd through 26th. And submissions are open for a national comedy contest. Chance to win $2,500, uh, perform in front of hundreds, be in, in front of industry here in Houston, Texas. So get your submissions in uh, riotcomedyfestival.com. All right. Want to bring in our guest? Yeah, let's do it. The New York Times has called Alex English one of the queer young comics redefining American humor. Alex just finished his first season as a writer for Saturday Night Live. He's also written on BET's The Rundown and The Fix with Jimmy Carr. He's appeared on HBO's That Damn Michael Che and made his Comedy Central stand-up debut on Alana Glazer Presents Tight Five. Alex is open for and toured with such acts as Michael Che, Roy Wood Jr., Michelle Wolf, and Colin Jost. Welcome hey. to the show, Alex English. Wow, you really don't know what you've done until someone puts a package together. <laughs> you've done a lot. <laughs> you, anytime something like that is presented to me, I'm like, damn, I did that? <laughs> yeah, you've done a lot of it. You have quite, we have a lot to talk about if we were just doing a, an entire podcast just about your career accomplishments and the things that you've been a part of. But we have a lot, we want to get into your writing and stuff too. But let's start 
uh, with the career. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did, tell us a little bit about how you got started in comedy and some of the big, um, the big movements and the, and the things that happened that kind of brought your career to where it is today. So it was like 10 years ago almost. And I had moved to New York and I was working in like a bunch of like restaurants and coffee shops and stuff. And I was working at this one particular restaurant in Manhattan and uh, this young lady that I was working with at the time, she was doing comedy and she done like open mic. On, she was on the open mic scene for a little bit. And then um, she invited me to come with her to an open mic night uh, at like Broadway Comedy Club um, in Hell's Kitchen. So I go with her thinking that I'm just going to be in the audience supporting her because, you know, I just found her to be funny and a cool person to hang out with. But then... She had gone up, done her thing. A couple more comics go up and she's like, you need to get ready because you're next. <laughs> nice. Good for us. And I was like, next? She was like, yeah, didn't you want to go up? I'm like, go up. I'm, I didn't understand what any of that meant. And I'd always been like a fan of stand-up comedy. I always knew what stand-up comedians were. But before I moved to New York, I never really saw like, a pipeline or like an avenue for that and entertainment is never really something that I'm, I mean, I'm from Detroit. So entertainment isn't necessarily a career path that is said. People people can say to you until you blue in the face, are oh, you talented? You can sing, you can, but they don't have like, there's no like direct clear way of getting into, it. especially maybe, maybe with music, it's more, you know, you learn music, but with comedy, there's literally no one saying you should be a comedian. So it was always taught that if anything, they saying you should shut the fuck up and go <laughs> I'm trying to be a clown and go get a job. <laughs> um, so because of that, whatever aspirations I may have had kind of resurfaced in that moment, because I didn't like stop her. I didn't take my name off. I just went up there and did it anyway. Um, and I can't remember what I said. I couldn't tell you. I mean, I had, I had already had like maybe two or three drinks cause I was truly going in there as an audience member. So I'm just like probably slurring my words saying the most ridiculous shit that anybody has ever heard. And I'm leaving out of the mic kind of like, just, I just remember leaving being like, well, that's that I did that. And I'm gonna go home. But the guy who was running the mic at that time, uh, came up to me and like encouraged me to come back. He thought he thought I was really funny. So I like just kept going back to that one open mic and like thinking, I guess this is how you do comedy. So I just kept going to the one same mic until I learned later that there was much more to, to, to experience. Yeah, turns out there's a few more in New York. There's a few more, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I would like go, I would go to that. There, there was a turning point at that mic particular where there was another comic who she like I think I remember her telling me asking me like so are you going to the other mic downtown I was like other mic I'm like this is this is it this is what I'm doing I'm a comedian I'm just I go here I perform I'm not even passed at this club I'm just performing for other comedians you know I just I had no idea what what it was so she was like no you can go to other like open mics there's you can do like in New York you can do like upwards of like five to six in one night you know in any given any given day so I had to learn that aspect of it and then I had to learn about the bringer shows at the clubs and that nightmare of a <laughs> that nightmare of a process where you have to you know find and make some often less it's more so make 
make five friends. Find finding five friends is one thing. <laughs> Making five friends in order to bring to a comedy club to put up with your five minutes. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's, I exhausted a lot of friends. I did. I, got, I lost a lot of friends doing comedy with the breaker shows. <laughs> That's why it's um, important to make them as new friends. So when you lose them, not really that big of a loss. Yeah. It's really just using you for I mean, I used to I used to uh log into like dating apps and like like <laughs> grinder. Yeah, I just like grinder and like all these other and I would tell dudes like, um, yeah, I do comedy and I, they'd be like, Wait, I, I remember one time I had a show at Gotham Comedy Club. And I had two friends, you know, I had three friends that were already coming that I knew. And then in order to fill my quota to get stage time, I hit up two separate dudes on Grindr. No intentions on meeting up with them. Just was like, I'm a comedian. If you want to hang out, this is what I'm doing. And they both came and I got to go up and I ended up leaving before I could even like see those two guys again. One of the one of the number one questions I always get is like, how do you promote your shows? How do you get people to come to your shows? And Alex, the gr- get on Grinder, guys. Lure, lure, the, lure people yeah. into a false sense of intimacy. Yeah. You don't even uh, have to be gay. Just get on Grinder. You don't even have it. to be gay. Yeah, I'm not. I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> you just sneak out of there and hope that the two Grinder guys meet each other. Meet each uh, other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, honestly, Drew, that's how I feel. I was like, well, if chances are they'll see each other, you know, and you get it. They probably already hooked up anyway, you know. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. I did it. I did it kind of like it was it was uh, it wasn't anything I had planned. But because it was when, when it became presented to me, it was sort of like, oh, this is this is a way to do comedy. But I didn't think that it, at, at no point in the beginning year of me doing comedy did I think anything else would happen beyond what I was doing. So. I, you know, it's wild to think that accidentally, and I don't even think the young lady who introduced me, who brought me to the mic even does it anymore. (laughs) So, so you, you finally figured out there's more than one open mic in New York. Good, good. We're making progress. Mm -hmm. What what was the next thing that kind of happened in your career that kind of took it uh, after the bringer shows and stuff? When did it really start uh, making moves for you? Well, I started, I mean, like I kept doing these mics and I kept doing all these, all this really just like clumsy. I like to call like when, when comedy, when comedians first start, like, and it's been almost 10 years for me, but now I kind of notice, like, especially with open comedy, it's very clumsy comedy. So it's going to be bits that you're not going to be telling, you know, five years, hopefully five years. It's like you're starting comedy kind of just doing baby jokes and things that, you know, I have no life experience. I started comedy when I was 23. You know, I have no real world experience really outside of living in New York for a few months. So I didn't really have a fully formed opinion on anything. You know, I wasn't talking about being gay because even though I was out of the closet, really, I didn't really have it didn't feel like something important to talk about because I just didn't really have much experience with it. So, you know, like the first two or three years, it was just me trying to figure out like how to be on stage and how to do, how to get attention of the room and how to be, you know, and how to make other comedians laugh. Cause New York city open mics uh, are just you and 10 to 15 to 20 other comedians in a, in a, in a greasy, in a, in a slimy, <laughs> uh, uh, it's, it's in a basement, you know, it could be in a barbershop. Is like comedians, if they want stage time, they're going to find comedians will go. If, if there's stage time in hell, they're going to go to hell. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it, it does not matter. So I was literally just going up wherever, wherever anyone would have me, I would go to strip clubs. I would go to parks. I would do anything to like get up in front of people. So I, I, I felt like, 
I felt like every single year that from the time that I started to now, something new, I had to like learn something new. And I felt like if I weren't learning anything new and if I felt like my material wasn't getting better, then I would have to figure something else out. But that started happening. I started like getting more attention from my peers, getting asked to do shows specifically, much like not not actual open mics anymore. Like people were starting to like pay t- some attention to me to want to like have me around on their show or host their op- their open mic and like get like a cl- I would do some some of those bringer shows that I would do at the clubs. The booker would be around and like ask who I was and kind of throw me a bone like on the house show for like five minutes. So I I kind of just like kept kept focused and just wanted to be better. Just like listen to myself on tape, you know, try to get. So I don't look at I know this is a question I had was the like the big break. What was the big I look at? I look at it sort of as a lot of smaller breaks that built up to where I happen to be now. I think like like. The first big, I'll say, I, I guess I can credit my first big break really with being, um, there was this, this, there used to be this show that happened in Brooklyn. It was called Night Train uh, with Wyatt, Wyatt Sinek, who used to be on The Daily Show. And he had uh, his, he had his uh, show on HBO a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, I used to go to this show and just watch, you know, I was, I was like an open micer. So I would just go to the show and like watch all of these people who were like ahead of me you know, and been around New York that I had heard of that I had like done research on while I was doing open mics, kind of watching. I would like watch other comics, like clips that they had on YouTube. Cause you know, we didn't really have Instagram. Like it was Instagram, but it was no nowhere near where Instagram is now for comedy. But I would go on people's YouTube pages and look them up. And like all of these comedians that like work the seller and these big people who are big names now who weren't big names 10 years ago to me they were like these are the people that new york city loves so much and that you go i go to an open mic and they walk in and everybody's making a gangway for them to get on stage you know so i was i was doing i was observing all these people all these different acts i was observing them to kind of see how to do comedy in front of an audience not not that aren't your peers that aren't like other comics so Night Train was the first one. And I saw Night Train as like, it was Night Train and it was the Knitting Factory. And this was when Hannibal Burris was hosting it. So those two shows, and actually it's funny, Knitting Factory just ended after after all those years because the, the venue's closing. So the last show was on Sunday. I got to be a part of that, which was like oh, wow. a huge deal for me. Um, but Night Train was the first like major like booked bar show that, I was able to participate in after like observing how important it was to so many comedians. I sent a tape and I was just like crossing my fingers and God bless Marianne way. She, she, she saw the talent. She she saw the jokes and she was like, this, this would be good. This would be good for the brand, for the night train brand. (laughs) So I did, I did my first set there ever. It was like a May, I want to say like maybe like May, May 20, 2015, something like that. And Wyatt introduced me and it was, that was a big deal because I was a big fan of Wyatt and that was my first time meeting him. So it was like this guy who like does stand up that I like, who I've seen on TV. I was still like a Midwestern kid in New York, just impressed and like <laughs> starstruck by like, you know, people who are pretty like Wyatt's like a famous dude, but he's pretty on the ground when it comes to like 
this is his home stage. His home is right around the corner, you know? So I would, but I was like, oh my God, oh my God, it's wild. <laughs> and like, when I got off stage, he complimented my set. I did it. I mean, I had a pretty decent set and he was very complimentary to me. And I was like, this is, and he, they had me on like for another two shows, like back, like within the span of like three months, I was back on night train. And I was like, damn, they must really fuck with me. And then, uh, the, there was a now defunct streaming service called CISO and uh, uh, Wyatt's Night Train series, was, it was turned into a series, a stand-up series. Mm-hmm. I don't like, you know, like it went two seasons um, and it's basically the same format, just with more production behind it and uh, Wyatt, but just Wyatt doing his show and it's recorded. So I was asked to participate in the second season for that. And that was crazy because up until that point, the first night I ever did Night Train, I had a friend, I I had asked a friend to come and record myself for me, like a professional, like with a camera and everything. So I have that still to this day. But that Night Train on Seesaw taping was the very first time professional television cameras were placed in front of me to perform. And I, I was like, I was freaking out. Like, I like, I, I couldn't like, it was just very hard to process like, oh, this is going to be on TV and I have to do well because if I don't, me not doing well is going to be on TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was one of those moments where, uh, one of those early moments where I had to really rise to the occasion and like, you know, but that was one of the moments where I really felt like, oh, okay, I think I have something here and I was like, okay, if this is where I am four years in, then four years later, there could be more. And I'll never forget that night too, because Black Thought was there. He was on the episode with me. And when I got off stage, Black it was Black Thought, uh, Wyatt was back on stage. So it was, when I got off stage, it was Black Thought sitting on the couch to my left and Michael Che was on the right. And Che was just, <laughs> and then Black Thought came up to me and was like, "Dude, I don't know who you are, but that was great." So I was just like, "I, I was, I was two people that I admire and were fans of," and I was like, well, "I guess, I guess I'm here." <laughs> wow! And then now yeah, you gone on and, and had and done a lot of work with Michael Che for sure. Now yes. I mean SNL, his his show on HBO. You guys are like working together. All like, you can't get away from this guy. He's obsessed with me. <laughs> no he's a, I, that's he's somebody that he's a, he's a very fine example of somebody that like when i got to new york and started doing comedy he was somebody i would see at these bar shows that you know no one had a clue who i was he didn't have a class i mean these are michael che jermaine fowler the lucas brothers hannibal wyatt like these guys were like like, you know, these guys were larger than life in New York. Everybody wanted like a piece of them at their show, you know, like, so they, and these are, these are the guys like they could walk in, not be on the show. And in 10 minutes they're on the show. So I was like, I want that. I want to be, I want to walk in. And somebody's like, Oh, well, you know, Alex is here maybe. And you know what? I'm going to keep it a buck y'all. It happens now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mission accomplished because like there, there was just something there was just some sort of power to that where i'm like these guys are so funny that they can walk into any show they want to and people are like come on guys get can you can you give me can you give me seven minutes can then that seven minutes is 20 
<laughs> so what uh how was the process of, of becoming a writer mm. on snl did you have to go through some an audition like a like a I saw like three packets i think you submitted three packets right I did. That, I yeah three it you know what's funny i i before doing stand-up i had no clue that that stand-up comedians also worked as television writers. It was not something that I had any experience with. I think I may have taken one like broadcasting script writing class in college. And I think I dropped the class because I was just intimidated and it was like, I don't know, I don't know what any of this shit means and I don't care to learn it. Let me just figure out something else. That's but it was it got it was brought back into my life by stand-up because yeah, that's your that's your job. You dropped out of the class and now it's your gig. Wow. Well people yeah and people when you start doing comedy and you find some leverage and you get gain some momentum, people want people start asking like, well, what kind of show are you writing? It's like I'm writing stand-up. I'm not writing scripts. Like, what the hell? Like, I just didn't have that in my background. And when you move to New York and you perform any sort of, like, performance art in New York City, you are surrounded around people who have all of this sort of, like, experience. I didn't know what the hell Final Draft was. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Let's, let me write my jokes, dog. So when all these opportunities to write for, like, when the rundown with Robin Thede came up and the National Lampoon and Jimmy Carr show on Netflix reached out for to me to consult. So that was where I had to like, okay, just like with stand up, I had to just kind of throw myself into something that I didn't know how to do. So right. with um, with SNL, I think it was yeah the first time I submitted a packet, I got no response. It was pretty much like. I, I think I had just received it cold. It was kind of like I didn't have any representation. And they, someone had just brought it my way and was like, we think I think you would like here's the email for it. You know, you should you should definitely try. And I didn't get any response. But then this the following year was uh, was during the lockdown. It was during my second time was during quarantine, during the pandemic. So uh, I had gotten further. I had reached the interview process. So, and everything was of course in, on Zoom. Now I know we're doing video conferencing right now and it's going very well, but I am I am a better interviewer in person. So yeah. <laughs> you just, there's better energy. You can get my, you can get a feel of me better if we're in front of each other, which I like to believe played some part of me not getting it the second time around. <laughs> but also they only hired one person. They hired one person because of just, you know, pandemic and, yeah like that was just a weird time for anything yeah. um so um this third year was the charm and i actually got to interview in person the way i wanted to and it worked out the way it was supposed to <laughs> that's awesome that's gotta be that's gotta be a little uh gotta be overwhelming for anybody no matter where what how good your career was going previous to be like i am now a writer for snl that's gotta be like walking into that building it's gotta feel crazy well, it is, it's absolutely crazy because you're, you know, you're walking into this into this space where these are the people performing at like the top of their game. You know what I mean? And and it, it can really it can knock you back a little bit if you are coming from a particular place. Like for me, I've been doing stand up nine and a half years at that point, got hired and I was like feeling as, as though I was nearing the top at uh, nearing the top of my game as it relates to like New York standup. I'm still gaining some traction on like the touring circuit. I'll be in Texas this weekend, you know, yeah. like I'm still, I'm still gaining that. But in New York, 
you know, I got passed at the Comedy Cellar in June of last year. So it was a year ago. And this was months before I found out that I got SNL. So getting getting that being kind of knighted with the with the ability with being able to say, oh, I am a working comedian at the Comedy Cellar. To me, that was like, oh, I'm really like at the height. I'm, I'm really killing like stand up comedy right now. I am one of the, the best. I was starting to feel like I'm like I'm on top of the world. But when you go into a place like SNL, you are not the best. <laughs> <laughs> not your not your first year. You're not the best. So it, it, there was a moment where I had to deal with not being the best. I had to really think about my place and like I am. I am very. I, you, I, it was. Uh, I basically had got sent back to 2012, basically, yeah. where I'm in this environment where I don't know what I'm doing, don't know why I'm doing it, but obviously there's some reason for there's something there's something here, and I'm gonna figure that out. So it was um, it was intimidating the same way that starting stand up was intimidating, but if if I, it would have done me a disservice to to fall apart, you know, because I didn't do it with stand up, so I might as well see it see it through. But yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I have a lot of respect for the group that I belong to because I belong to a very specific group of like SNL people and that standups who come to SNL and there's, there's many, but you know, in relation to like improv actors and character, you know, workers, you know, like, you know, those people, that is really the meat and bones of SNL, those people who like work and do improv, whereas me, I'm just some straggly little stand up off the streets, you know, and <laughs> was like, come on and get offer something to this institution that's been here long before you were even thought of. So, <laughs> yeah, have you written? I have a that's a big that's a big deal for me to be to say that I'm one of the stand ups who contributed to SNL. Absolutely. Did you do a fair amount up previous to to SNL? Were you writing a lot of of sketch type comedy? And this was something that you already no. <laughs> like the, the, well you know what let me let me because like the rundown with robin Didi had sketches in it i maybe had one code open that was just like very like blink if you miss it there was nothing it wasn't impressive at all it was it was an honest okay. effort but i was more i was writing more of like her monologue and mm. her act two jokes and like talks about like topical jokes i was doing those things gotcha. um on the National Lampoon Radio Hour, which was a podcast for the like the re, uh, like the reboot of the National Lampoon Radio Hour from back in like the uh, when it said the seventies, yeah, but yeah. it predates um, SNL. That, yeah, they they, they yeah, stole yeah. all their people from. from it's, the- it's crazy <laughs> that I was even a part of that. It is in connection in a relationship with SNL. Yeah, I yeah that was a whole other topic. Uh, but that was my first time actually. So that was my first time writing sketches. But sketches for podcasts, sketches for audio is what we were basically doing. So I think there was a different there was a different style we had to meet. There was a different expectation for what our sketches were supposed to be. Um, So but that was that was an introduction to me on how to like format and like bring my comedic voice to a dialogue on on a page, which which was a new muscle that I am still figuring out how to make stronger. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's growth, gotta though. be new. That's yeah, where you it grow. was very new. Yeah. So, and I mean, even in SNL's case, 
SNL has its own special formatting of scripts that I'm like, well, damn, I didn't even know. So I was I spent all this time learning Final Draft and learning how to actual like a, a, an official script. And I get into this into this other uh, I go into this job and they're like, no, 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 no. We don't do it like that. We do it like this. <laughs> so I'm of like, course they do. I'm tired of learning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let, let me do this. We're going to transition into, into stand-up writing. Uh, mm-hmm. where this is a stand-up focus show. If I'm going to do a quick clip of, uh, from your, your recent comedy central, uh, oh yeah, it's outdoors. I know. So it's kind of, <laughs> the jokes are there. It's only it's, yeah, l- less than a minute. Let's do it. Hey, but I had a gender crisis when I was younger. I was confused about some stuff. You know, my mother used to leave me at home a lot when I was young, like suspiciously a lot, you know? <laughs> It's like, ma'am, that is not how abortions work, you know? <laughs> but she would leave me at home and I would do what every kid would do and I would go and snoop around in her closet and I would see a blouse hanging up and I would throw the blouse on her and I would check myself out in the mirror like, this needs something else. And I would go over to her dresser and I will put on some jewelry and I would go back into the mirror and I would look at myself like, bitch, how dare you come out here without shoes? And then... <laughs> I would see a pair of heels on the floor. I would put both feet in the heels and I would look at myself one last time like, all right, okay, I don't like this, but I'm a bad bitch. That's a sigh of relief after getting that bit out. (laughs) But that's, I mean, that's pretty relatable stuff. I don't care who you are or what sexual orientation you are. You tried on mom's uh, shoes and clothes, or what? You did that. What's funny is that I got some reactions to that. Like people sending some, some people, men, like men, the women, of course, were sending those messages, but there are men who sent messages to me that were like, damn, I thought I was the only person doing that. Yeah, it's like a challenge. Try to walk in high heels as a child. You're like, wait, this is like a game. I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that that bit is, I haven't done that bit in a while. So, yeah. yeah. Shout out to Alana Glazer for employing stand-up comedians during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what the whoa. best environments uh, having to operate it outside. It was not ideal, but I, I did. the elements and, you know, yeah. whatever, ambulances and helicopters and homeless people, you know, just so many, you're up against I wish, everything. I wish, uh, yeah, that day, that night of filming that was like, and it started raining too on some yeah. people's sets. So it was like, it was, it was, it was crazy, but a beautiful, a beautiful production all the same. Yeah, so yeah. It, when, it, when it comes to writing for you, we, we kind of just always ask it broad, uh, open-ended, you know, how, mm. how, how does, uh, Alex write comedy? I think I'm equal parts writing, like actual writing. And like, also some days I'm kind of just like in a daze and I just think of something and I'm like, oh, I'll remember that. I, I, I it, 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 what comes to me comes to me and I'm never mm. like, I, I, I don't necessarily sit down with like a pen and paper for hours and like, write. I will when I really feel like there's something that I have to say that I need to like write out. And I'm like, what is the thought? What's the joke? What's the tag? Like I'm, I so I will have bouts of that, but not always. So sometimes it's like, I'll really have to be thinking about something in a particular subject in, in a specific way. Like with that, that, that joke that y'all show came off of like, it's it's sort of like a, another like an extra bit kind of that is off of like a like some trans a, some transgender material that I do, and and the bit the the sentiment behind it is just like I 
I will never have like a judgmental uh, viewpoint of trans people because I know kind of on some level, I had some like, you know, thought process behind what are the, are these clothes for me or are they just for my mom? Are they like, it was like, oh, I, who am I to judge somebody for how they present? Because I used to think that maybe this was what I wanted to do. And when I, all it takes is, like living in it a little bit and kind of thinking about it. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I don't, but I could see how someone would. So that, 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 that was like kind of weird. Cause it feels like that bit kind of comes out of nowhere. And it's like, that's kind of where the premise kind of is set up in the beginning, but there's another joke before that. But yeah, yeah he, bro- he broke, he broke or she broke up with you. And yes. Yeah. She transition. Yeah. Me is a whole, yeah. And, yeah. That, and, and even, and even that joke has like come such a long way. I mean, I've been some of these jokes have been so re restructured and like rethought because like after some of, some of my jokes, I've noticed uh, they'll hit they'll go they'll do great in their infancy, and maybe this has anything to do, maybe this has more to do with my delivery and maybe me being tired of the joke, but like I'll start to notice oh this joke is starting to bomb a little bit. Huh. Maybe maybe there's something to be changed here or ditch it all together because it's lived it's it's lived its life. So I do a lot of like my my actually my writing process is a lot of listening to myself. So I, I never I don't understand these comics that I that I've met. You know you you see them put the phone next to them on the stool recording and you see them and then you ask them you know are you know you going to listen to that and they're like nah. <laughs> like, well, what did you record it for? Like, I, I listen, I listen to myself a lot. I don't like it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I'm not like the biggest fan of hearing or seeing myself, but I do want to like be able to hear what worked and what didn't. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. people are afraid to listen. People only want to listen to themselves killing, but I listen to the bombs because I'm yeah. like, oh, stop doing that. Stop saying yeah. that. Stop saying it that way. Or give yourself some time to like, you know say the bit over and over again. I mean, that that mom clothes thing, I'm sure I listened to it. I've listened to it a bunch and like, yep, this isn't working. That act out is a little lazy. You gotta like, you watch yourself and listen to yourself because then that way <clears throat> I've listened to myself a lot and have like, oh, it's, it's almost like being a comedian trying to give another comedian notes, but it's you, you're giving yourself notes. So what notes would I give this to this set? And I would give plenty and I would go this way and I would go that way. So I've done better at like hearing myself and listening to myself with a critical ear, mm-hmm. just as critical as I would be. I mean, we were comics. We've all been in the audience listening to somebody. I'm like, I would have did it that way. <laughs> well, why don't you do it to yourself? Yeah, right. <laughs> if you know, if you know better, nobody, no one, you have to be the one that says it. So that I'm, I spend more time being critical of myself than anybody else. <laughs> That's I think it's great to have. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so that's one of the best ways to write like tags and, and edit is yeah. When you're in the middle of listening to yourself and you can zone out and not realize it's you uh, and that honest feedback that you can give in that moment um, mm-hmm. that I got, that's some of my favorite um, kind of writing that I've done probably. Mm-hmm. Um, are you, so you say you, you, you just take in a lot of thoughts. Are you, writing a lot, pen and paper, you keeping a running list in your phone. How do you collect these thoughts as they come to you? Sometimes I'll just jot down one or two words that are like specific to the joke that I have in my head. Um, if, if there's a thought, if there's like a line that I'm like, 
A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Like, this is all, like, sometimes I'll get in a, we're on a writing streak and I'll just go. And sometimes I'll be at a bar. I was at a bar just, like, doing, like, before a show, I just went to a bar and, like, was doing, doing this. And a guy was like, what are you writing over there? I'm like, my manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just kind of get, like, I, like I said, I just have moments. I have, like, spurts of, like, thought where I'm like oh I need why why because if, if I'm chuckling to myself I'm, <laughs> I'm like put it in your phone do something with it just so you'll have it somewhere but I'm pretty good about like knowing I do like just getting on stage and kind of saying the thought raw without having any sort of like writing to it because then it'll help me feel like I don't do that every time but it 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 offers me the opportunity to explore and I can just fail knowing, like, I oftentimes will tell the audience, this joke came to me on the couch earlier today. And so I'll say that after it bombs, and then they'll be like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're looking at me like, take that shit back to the couch when it's. <laughs> can I make a distinction? Would you do that? Would you do that at the cellar? Or is a cellar, everything has to be written and polished because you always have to kill? The cool thing about the cellar is that they give you the space to, I mean, that's what it's for. I think the seller, it, it, it absolutely encourages um, trying new things. I think at some point, you know, you have a relationship with the, with the wait staff there. And like, I'm always looking at them. Like, I know they're so tired of hearing me talk about this thing. Like, let me come up with something new for my homeboy to listen to while he started putting <laughs> these <switching> fingers. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, I, I do want to challenge myself. And I think the seller offers that, you know, it's good that the seller has multiple stages to perform on so that, you know, the pressure, I mean, the pressure is always there to perform very well because you never know who's in the room. So I think my, my strategy with that, with any show, really not even just at the seller is to, Give some real good strong A material at the top. Sprinkle some of that, some of them yeah. new thoughts in the middle. Like they don't even, and maybe don't even notice. They won't even have to know it's new. You know, they might they might be along. Get the audience on your side a little bit. Establish some rapport, and then you know they trust you. So now you can go into other territories. So I uh, I I take advantage of of that club in that way because this is some of the greatest audiences, and they've come, they've traveled from all over the world. Many of them also just native New Yorkers. So it's a good it's a, it's a good way to just get it out there, and it's like if you never lose that that open mic spirit of like wanting to do a new thing, then you'll never like get. I just I get tired. I'm tired of my jokes now. The jokes I'm getting ready to tell this weekend, I'm like I'm happy to be doing it, but I'm <laughs> very much ready to like put a lot of these bits on wax and like put it out there for the world to see, so that I can move on with my life and get a new fresh a new fresh that, material. <laughs> that's what I was, that's what I was going to ask you. Uh, I don't believe, right. You haven't recorded an album to date. Have you not yet? Okay. So it's, it's coming. Yeah. You, you, yeah. Is this, a, is this an album release? Not uh, yet. Notice? Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. I'm going to just say, yeah. what is the Mar Mariah Carey? The, 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 the me, not yet. <laughs> 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 but, but, but I am, but I am working on something, but not yet. <laughs> well, we're we're ready for it. I, I've, I've noticed in my current writing situation lately, I've been noticing that I'm. You notice like you're, I'm getting a little lazy. I'm doing a, a lot of good collecting. I think 
Like I have a, I have the notes in my phone. I'm always writing down interesting thoughts and I'm noticing I need, I need to have some of that sit down quiet mm-hmm. time to, to actually create something there. Like just the idea alone is okay. It's a spark of an idea, but it does, it does take some sit down. Like you said, those moments where you just like maybe feel inspired and got to dig into it and actually do the real writing. You also got to live life too. Mm. Is, I know we want to sit down and put pen to paper and always have the next big. We always get a, trying to get these tweets off, <laughs> bring reels off, and that's all fine and well, but we have to live our lives. Mm. You have to go out there. You got to go, go out there, get married, go out there, get a divorce, go, <laughs> go, uh, go on that trip, go like pay for, pay a prostitute. <laughs> like, you know, go, go to a concert, go read a book, go and like jump off a cliff, go like do, do something crazy and like live life and like listen to other people and read the paper and like, just cause that's where, you know, Input. that's where you're going to draw inspiration, whether yeah. it's stand up, whether it's writing for film, writing a comedy sketch, right? Like a lot of the things that, especially like when it comes to like SNL, like coming up with material, cause we have to come up with stuff every week that we're working there. And I'll often be like, well, damn, I only really know what I want to do, like, and say with my stand up. So how do I pull from inspiration? You got to go and be in the world to like have a funny take on something or to come up with the with the with, with the next good sketch, you know, because uh, that's we we have to live in society in order to report back to our community what we find funny about everything around us. So yeah. I think the best the best way to write is to live. Yeah, that's, that's great advice, because I think we've all been at the open mics and mm-hmm. everyone's telling the same butt jokes and 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 the the butt sex jokes and the rape jokes and the and the Nazi jokes and it's because maybe they're not their their head is always running around these open micro jokes and they're not outside living a life that's had, that creates some inspiration. You have to live a life. That's the best way to write. That is the absolute best way to write is to live have a lived experience as a human being. And then spend take some time off and then come back as a comedian ready to tell the world what you've been thinking. <laughs> I think the, the pandemic was such a curse, but also kind of a blessing to comics to be like, hey, get out of the, the rat reel, rat wheel and uh, stop going to mics every night. Take a night off and go live some life. And yeah. I think the pandemic really was a nice shock to our yeah. systems as comics to re- or as a reminder for that. I agree. A thousand percent. Yeah. How do you find time to live life? On the SNL schedule, though, you gotta make time. Yeah. You gotta yeah. make time. I mean, thankfully, SNL kind of runs the schedule. Kind of runs in a way that's like three episodes here, and we do we have breaks. And I take advantage of those breaks. I go and I go on dates. I go I go hang out with my friends. I go on vacations. I don't work. I read. I read a lot of books. I read the. I watch the news just to see what the hell is going on in the world, and it ain't just CNN. I watch Fox News too. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I gotta see. I gotta see what the fuck they're talking about. My friend, we were. In, I was in Miami, and I was like getting dressed, and my friend came to my hotel room. He saw Fox News was on. He was like, "What's going on with you?" I'm like, "You don't listen to them too." Like, I need to know what the fuck is going on. I'm not. I'm not taking in what they saying like as anything that I should be. But I'm like, I need to know what they saying. Like, yeah. Cause then it just, it just helps. It helps you like 
know the world and you know what people's fear i like knowing what people's fears are i love that when i go to my shows and it's like a bunch of different people and i you know it's not just black it's not just white it's not just gay it's not just straight everybody's there it's every everybody and i and i that's the kind of environment that that i thrive in because then i can get away with everything because everybody's here republican democrat white black asian transgender uh, 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 handicap, like any, I, I want, I want any and everybody because that way, if I got a joke for you and it's targeted at your people, you you can laugh and give everybody else permission to enjoy themselves too. So, yeah, and I've noticed. So I just moved to New York recently, oh. and and I've noticed. No <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah. No one watches. I've never walked in on someone watching Fox News. That's never happened. Well, when you go to Miami, Florida, that's the first channel on, on a hotel room stations. <laughs> I bet, it, I bet it is. You can't avoid it. But I think it, there's something about the diversity of the audiences in New York that's very good for that. Because now I'm going through the process of going, okay, I have these this these sets of jokes that work in Houston. For mm-hmm. people who understand my upbringing and my history, we are on the same page. But now, how can I tell these jokes to people who are unfamiliar and come from so many different backgrounds of all the things? And mm-hmm. uh, I think that's one of the reasons that New York is such a good comedy town, because if you can make all those people from all those different backgrounds and histories laugh, then you found something universally funny. Honestly, though, I think it works both ways because I've been in New York and been only doing comedy in New York this whole time. And after a while for me, even though I know New York is so vast and the audiences are always changing, it starts to feel like I'm performing for the same audience sometimes in certain Mm -hmm. shows. So I love to go out uh, into the into America and go and I and I like to and I like to go and see a new group of people. And chances are people have never seen before. New York, like the coasts. God love them, you know, like they, they are tapped in already into who's who and who's what. They kind of know mm-hmm. names of comedians who aren't, you know, top billing, you know. But when it comes to like when I go to D.C. and when I go to Boston and when I go to Omaha, Nebraska or some shit like that and I'm and I'm the show, I'm their evening. That to me is like, oh, wow, I'm the ticket tonight. And they they may not know who I am, but they're going to leave there yeah. knowing a new comedian. And like yeah. that, that to me means a lot because I, I think it can work. It can definitely work both ways in that way because New York can be such a bubble, you know, like they, it's, it's true what they say. You know, I need more Republican fans, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I need more Republican fans. I mean, if you only got one political party that's down with you, then that can that can be that's that's, that's called extremism. And I, <laughs> I want everybody. To, I want everybody to be down with me, you know, because I'm down with I because I think. It, it helps that like I grew up in a, more of like a bipartisan sort of like environment. Like I, I know, I know black Republicans and I know black Democrats. I grew up with them in my family. So mm-hmm. I kind of, I, I know what these people care about and I know what that, what, what I know what can, and it also helps that I still sound like, I still sound like, a nigga in Michigan, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, my accent, like I get mistaken for being from the South all the time. So I yeah. know that when I go to places like Texas and Austin and like uh, I go to Houston and Austin and like Atlanta and Florida, I go down there and they're like, you from New York? I'm like, I live in New York, but you know, <laughs> there's some familiarity there because they hear me and they like, damn, you sound like a motherfucker that I work with. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty so good I, mi- I take pride in that. I take advantage of that. 
a pretty good melting pot in Houston. We're we're inside the loop, which makes us more toward, lean more towards liberal. But to your shows, we're gonna have people from all over the city. Which so it'll be it'll be a good melting pot of people. I from can't wait. I've never been to Alive. ever, so I'm very excited. Oh, to we're excited to have you. And I and I had like we sold like five or six sets of tickets while we were on this uh, podcast. So we're moving tickets, my man. Get to this oh. show, y'all. <laughs> we'll actually put Fox News behind you on the television <laughs> if that makes you feel more comfortable. Please. Please. I don't know what that's going to do for me in the long run, but if it sells these tickets, then. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. Well, let's wrap. Let's do our last segment. Uh, let me play a quick graphic. It's called Last Laugh. so strange i'm sorry okay uh so it's called last laugh and basically alex what uh what is the joke that you want to be remembered by it could be your joke one of your comedy heroes the joke you want written on your tombstone wanda sykes she had this joke um <laughs> she said uh ladies wouldn't it be great if our pussies were detachable wouldn't it be great if you could just leave your pussy at home sometimes? <laughs> she just goes into like this. Long. That was one of the first jokes. Like, like there's so many jokes I could put on my tombstone of other comedians like that. I admire. <laughs> that was one of those bits that because I mean, Wanda Sykes to me is like top she's so five. Great. She's so great. She's top five. From, she's in my top five. And like, I feel like Wanda is so good at telling telling the joke and then providing you with an excellent um, 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 act out that perfectly illustrates what you were already thinking, which kind of elevates the bit. And deta detachable pussy, if you've never seen it, you must don't, don't run, don't walk to YouTube. <laughs> Wanda Sykes, detachable pussy. The whole special is incredible. I think it was her first, I think that might've been her first. Her special. early stuff is so good. I mean, been her first hour that she done that she done um and yeah she talks about leaving your pussy at home and like how convenient just think of the freedom you'd have <laughs> <laughs> i do remember that bit I, I, i'm going to go back and rewatch that it's That's a great cool. bit it's a great put that put that whole bit on my on my headstone <laughs> nice. video screen Put the, well, the play, play it on a loop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I grabbed up your Instagram handle. So at Alex English, where the E is a three. Uh, anywhere else people need to, need to know to get a hold of you? That is the same way. That is the same handle as Twitter. If, Twitter. if, you, if, you, if you're more Twitter leaning. Uh, and uh, AlexEnglish.co is my website where I have all my dates. Couldn't afford the M. Uh, <laughs> Basketball player took it. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's actually it's it's free. It's still free. I don't think I don't think the basketball player is is finding any use of a website. Really, yeah, no, he, so, he's well, been retired for a long time. Yeah, so we'll 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 eventually be able to afford the com, but right now it's just cup. So <laughs> we'll start a GoFundMe free to get that M. Thank you very much. See, see, this is what I came here to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, we appreciate we appreciate you joining us. We're excited to have you down in Houston, Alex. Uh, uh, so much. I can't such, wait. such a delight talking to you today. And thanks everybody for listening. This has been breaking down bits. See y'all later. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for listening to Breaking Down Bits. You can keep in touch or get more when you follow at Breaking Down Bits on social media. Visit the website BreakingDownBits.com or shoot us an email at BreakingDownBits at gmail.com.